Jonathan Coleman, uh, one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills, and uh, I want to welcome you, and I want to welcome those who are online with us. Uh, glad they can worship with us. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever went through a difficult time of disappointment, uh, discouragement, and then found on the other side of that? that the situation, the circumstance was utilized for something that was incredibly good. A few, a few years ago, I took a, a month off for sabbatical just to take some time to evaluate my calling and just my role as pastor and also to maybe look at some ways in which to examine how the church that I was pastoring that time in Mount Healthy could experience some growth. At the time, I was experiencing some compassion fatigue. It seemed like every other week I was officiating a funeral for one of our members at the church. And it was extremely difficult to see that church literally dying when God would call me to come in and revitalize and help grow congregations. And I found my enthusiasm for ministry was just taking an all-time low. And... Um, this sabbatical was, was incredible because I, I petitioned during it, and I discovered some things. At the time, we had a large group of, of parents and students who were co-oping and using our church for free, and they were teaching these young people, four- or five-year-olds, Spanish and math and other things. And, and I would walk down the hallway, and the kids would run up to me, and, Hi, Pastor Jonathan, and meet these folks. But I couldn't get them involved in worship or in the life of the church. Well, one of them, one of the mothers one day invited me to a potluck that they had uh, every Thursday night at a small brewery right down the street on Compton Road. The brewery was called uh, Fibonacci Brewery. When I walked in, I saw this potluck spread out on these tables. The kids were running alongside in the yard, and I just saw fellowship and welcome and relational relationships building. And eventually I began to get to know Bob Bullis, the owner of that tiny little brewery. And one day I walked in and he was down in the basement brewing and it was as if God said to me, do it here. Make it work here. They'll worship here, Jonathan. You know, and so I went to the leadership of Mount Healthy and I met this church, and I told them what I heard there, and with some hesitancy, they said, yeah, go ahead, do it. And so Tom and Mary and I, we went over, started this service called Faith and Friends on Tap, and it, it, we learned some things. It was going, but then all of a sudden, you start hearing those voices, why are we doing a church service in a brewery? You know, and then I'm not going to give my money to a church that does services and breweries. And, and so I got pulled aside, and they said to me, you know what, let's just quietly put this to rest. So anyway, but eventually I began to see in that discouragement and disappointment, things started coming together very, very clear, and that God was using that for good. And it took over two and a half years, but I saw how God worked through that in the ministry of Fresh Expression. 
and a lot of risk and a lot of praying and a lot of information giving to your bishop and your district superintendent and to Mark Rowland in this church and then getting on the other side and, and hoping and praying that it would work. But then you see that that lowest point, somebody saying, yes, let's do this. And here I am. It's unreal. And we're coming up on a year later. But I think about those dark valleys. And I bet you can look back and see things that, that maybe the plans that you had or things that didn't work out or even some disasters that happened. And yet you are able to see how God was with you through it all and teaching you. And you weren't going through it, but you were growing through it. And you were learning to trust in the midst of those circumstances. All of us have had plans that have totally fell apart, and sometimes this can be very, very disappointing and even soul-crushing. Today we are in week three of a 31-week series called The Story, and we're doing everything in chronological order throughout the Bible. The first nine chapters we saw in Genesis discovered how God's original plan of creation and were stamped with his image and, and through Adam and Eve's rejection of that plan, original sin came in and entered into our world. And last week we heard about the story of Adam or Abraham and Sarah and how God chose them to be parents of a new nation. And he would use them to help fulfill his plan. And the miracle child, Isaac, was born to this older couple. He married Rebecca, had Jacob and Esau, and Jacob married two sisters, Leah and Rachel, and along with their maidservants, they had 12 sons and one daughter. And it brings us to Genesis chapter 37. And it's about a young man named Joseph. You see, Joseph is 11 of 12 boys in a family. He is his father's favorite, and the brothers knew it. And I don't know if you had a parent, or if you were a favorite, or your parents pay, played favorites. <laughs> You know, I'm the youngest of four boys, and thanks be to God, my parents didn't play favorites. I know mom and dad might be watching. Mom, I am your favorite, aren't I? <laughs> They're in Florida, but anyway. But you know what? Jacob really did love Joseph more than the other ones. And the brothers were heated with jealousy. And he even buys Joseph this, this high-end, fancy robe. And it gets even worse. God gives Joseph a dream that someday he will rule over his brothers and his parents. And it would have been smart for Joseph just to keep that, those cards to himself. But he shares his dream. And the Bible says that his brothers hated him. They hated him. And they hated his dreams. And because of his dream and because... He was his father's favorite son, and because of somewhat of being a little tattletale, his older brothers hatched a plan to take him out, to get rid of him. And so he's coming toward them. They see him far off, and they begin to devise this plan. If you look on page uh, 29 in your Bible there, it, it says this. Let me find it. I had it marked. Listen to what they do. They say, here comes that dreamer. They said to each other, come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. And then we'll see what comes of his dream. 
And then Reuben heard this, and he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life. Don't shed any blood. Throw him in the cistern here in the wilderness. Don't lay a hand on him. So when Joseph came, his brothers stripped him of his robe, his ordinate robe that he was wearing, and they took him and threw him in the cistern, and the cistern was empty, and there was no water in it. And so you see what happens here, that they, they, they sold him into slavery, and they made some money off of him, they, 20 shekels of silver to some traders, but those traders take him to Egypt, and then he's sold by those slave traders to a captain named Potiphar, who was a captain in Pharaoh's army. And then they dipped Joseph's suit in goat's blood, and they gave it back to, to the father and said, look, Joseph was eaten by ferocious animals. And he just doesn't catch any breaks, does he? He's a slave. He's not ruling anyone like his dreams told him. It would have been easy to give up and get mad at God if you were Joseph. Why did you give me this dream only to crush it? It's not fair. You can think of him saying that, but he doesn't. Joseph doesn't give up. The Bible said he worked hard, he succeeded, and he was put in charge of Potiphar's entire estate. On page 31, it says, the Lord blessed the household of Potiphar because of Joseph. Do you know the favor? When favor of God comes on us, it, it just absolutely comes upon others. Think about that just for a second. This happens when we practice these amazing values that are given to us by Almighty God and through the benefits of the Holy Spirit. And coming in that love and showing those values, favor passes on Potiphar's household. Now Joseph was a good-looking lad, it says in the Bible, and at the time Potiphar's wife was constantly trying to seduce him. Joseph would never give in, though. His character shined in that. She made up a story about Joseph attempting to rape her. She tells Potiphar, and then Joseph's put in prison. Put yourself in his shoes. Look at this guy. He cannot, he cannot get a break. Lies and deception. And now it comes to a turning point in Joseph's story. In his helpless state, there was nothing he could do to change that situation and even in that helpless state, Joseph still had the power to do one thing, and that was to choose his response. Would he give up? Would his response be, would he give up on God? You know, when you're bruised and broken or imprisoned in the pit, even in, in all those responses seem to be the most reasonable ones, to give up. But Joseph was a man of God. He chose to respond with faith and integrity. I love a quote from motivational speaker Tim Story. He points out that our hard times gives us an opportunity to witness to each other, to be an example of faithfulness and integrity in the midst of bad times. He says somebody needs to test, to, needs your test to turn into a testimony. Somebody needs your mess to turn into a message. And that was Joseph's challenge to turn his test into a testimony, his mess into a message. You're never more powerful than when you choose to respond faithfully rather than to react thoughtlessly. All the greatest heroes of the Bible, my friends, you see that, that they step back 
And they trust in the midst of those moments in a God who is their strength, their source, who is faithful. And we sang that up here. Incredible ways of his faithfulness with them. And the funny thing is, is that God is able to bring extraordinary good out of suffering. He is. You see, the warden of this jail knew that Joseph was different. He saw this character, and he put him in charge of running the other prisoners. And while in prison, he meets two high officials of Pharaoh's court who are there for bad behavior, and they promise they'll help him when they get back in favor with Pharaoh. Well, one of them does and is released from jail, but that official forgets his promise to Joseph. And can you imagine what a blow that was to Joseph? Ten years, Joseph waited in jail wondering, hey, man, is that guy going to remember me? Is he going to remember me? When's he going to tell Pharaoh? Probably every day thinking of that. Well, to make a long story short, Pharaoh himself has two disturbing dreams. And the first one is about seven fat and sleek cows and seven ugly and gaunt cows starving. And the second dream is about corn and not cows. Corn, abundant corn, it's not abundant. And Pharaoh can't understand these dreams, and no one can help him. But the official remembered his cellmate back in jail, and he brings Joseph in front of Pharaoh. As a result, Joseph just comes and interprets this dream for Pharaoh. That there's going to be seven years of abundance. I mean, bumper crop coming. And then after that, seven years of famine. And it was God's message to Pharaoh. As a result, bam, Joseph is put in charge of everything of Pharaoh's. He's put in charge of the bleak future. He's escalated to one of the most powerful men in that region. And he's 30 years old, and he had to wait 13 years for that dream to be fulfilled. And so seven years later, everything comes into effect with the famine, and everybody in that region is trying to find food. And here's the irony of it. Listen to this. Jacob and his family... Joseph's brothers, they're having some tough times. And they hear that there's food in Egypt. And so those brothers pack up the caravan, and they head for Egypt. The baby of the family, Benjamin, he's not allowed to go. But when they arrive, they meet Joseph, but they don't recognize him. But he recognizes them. And on page 34, it says, when Joseph's brothers arrive, they bow down to him their faces to the ground the dream comes true think about Joseph in that moment breathless that he sees this dream from 17 year old 17 years old happen his brothers his family finally bowing down you see there's four principles and, and I, I get these from Mark Mark Rowland we we talked about these, and, and I just see this in Joseph. Four principles when our plans don't work out. How do we cope? How do we cling when life seems unfair? 
So there's some things that Joseph did that I think that can help us. Number one is first keep God at the center. That's what Joseph does. Nowhere do we find him blaming God for bad circumstances. On the contrary, he seems to have unusual uh, trust and calmness in, all, in the midst of all of this, just horrific things that happened to him. He knew God was with him, even in the pit. God was blessing his life despite his imprisonment, and therefore he had confidence to trust in God. And he knew that he was not deserted, and God had spared him from those problems and strengthened him in the midst of them. Secondly is Joseph never gave up. He continued to work hard to be the person of integrity and honesty. Whether he was a slave or he was a prime minister, when Joseph stood, he stood. And a word that comes to my mind is steadfast. Steadfast means in the Bible, hold your ground, be unmovable. It's one of those military terms of a, a Roman centurion staying ground, protecting. 1 Corinthians 15, in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Joseph, he remained steadfast. And Joseph refused to become bitter. He didn't allow his circumstances to embitter him. You know, I noticed that when bad things happen, there are two responses that can occur. Either we can become better persons or bitter persons. Either we're worse for it or we become mature or faithful, trusting, and more loving for it. Viktor Frankl was a Jewish psychiatrist in Vienna during World War II. He was arrested and sent to Auschwitz by the Nazis. In camp, everything was stripped away. Clothing personal belongings, wedding ring, his dignity. They were starved, they were frozen, they were beaten, they were worked to death, and he would see people get gassed. But Frankel observed that one thing their captors could not take away was their freedom to choose how they would respond to their suffering. He found that some, they rose to new spiritual heights that he had never seen of his brothers and sisters who were Jewish. They had compassion. They would sacrifice. They would lay down their lives for each other's. But then he also noticed that some would go a different direction. They treated others with contempt. There was greed. It was attesting to the core of who they were. And you know what? Our circumstances will always test us in the midst of life in this human journey. We, become, we can become better or bitter. And lastly, Joseph trusted in God's plan for his life. He saw purpose in it. He knew God had a big picture in mind. And after that happened to him, he was able to say to his brothers, so, it, so then it was not you who sent me here, but God. Joseph was able to take a look at his personal tragedy and see that trust in it and knew that God was going to be faithful in his life eventually. He just had to wait on his Lord and his Lord with his strength. You know, I know there has been times in my life, especially that time where I was in that lull of just trying to figure out the new calling. There were times where I would just sit and say to myself and say to God, this can't be 
what you've called me to be and do in ministry. And I remember just feeling that trust of just taking day by day and funeral by funeral and trying to lead and pastor that church. And that church is, is doing okay now. They have the right pastor. And God's called me over to a different area and over to a different region in ministry. And I'm so thankful for it. One thing I try to preach in the ministry of faith and friends on tap is how God's story weaves with our story. And it's not about the beer or the art or the food. It is about a God working in the midst of the details of life, accomplishing his good purposes in us and through us. It's calling people to trust in God who has a plan and has a purpose and sees those people as beloved. We have to remember God's story is unfolding even in the bleak and confusing times of our lives. And we have to look for that intersection of his story and our story in those difficulties. Romans 8.28 proclaims this truth. And I hear Joseph. <laughs> I hear Joseph in this text. We know all things, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. God is saying, I'm working in your life. I have power to even use that which is not fun for good. In 1967, Eugene McDaniel was captured in the North Vietnamese uh, bombing over Vietnam. He was shot down and he was taken to Hanoi Hilton, which was a brutal prison camp. At first, McDaniel responded to his circumstances with self-pity and despair, but one day he was thrown into a cell with a young soldier named Bill Metzger. Metzger was lying on the floor. He was covered with dry blood. He had horrible wounds all over his arms and his legs, but he was smiling at his new cellmate. And after this chance encounter with Bill Metzger, Eugene McDaniel stopped asking, why me? He took Romans 8.28 for his motto in life. And for the next six years, after repeated torture, starvation, isolation, Eugene maintained a contagious, positive attitude in that camp. He was able to pray for the prison guards who tortured him. And after his liberation from the prison camps, he returned home, and his new life was not hampered in bitterness or depression. He knew that God had used those years of suffering to form into him into a better and stronger purpose. You know, when God created us in his image, he gave us the awesome ability to make choices, to choose our own direction, to choose good and evil or evil, choose love or hate, wisdom or foolishness, action or inaction, blessing or cursing, forgiveness or unforgiveness. But our choices are never neutral. And the first choice we make in every situation is what our attitude will be. Joseph chose faith and integrity. All his other choices flowed from that first choice. And because of his attitude, God honored Joseph and allowed him to turn his test into a testimony and his mess into a message. Listen to the end of this chapter. His brothers came. And they threw themselves down before him. They said, we are your slaves. 
Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good and accomplished what is now being done by saving many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. He had an opportunity just to crash it back to them. But he didn't. God used all of Joseph's misfortunes to provide food, not only for his parents, his 11 brothers, but the entire nation of Egypt and for the region. God was working out a plan in Joseph's life, and he's doing that in your life as well. And in all the rough times of life, God is at work in our lives, bringing meaning to our tears. God does not cause the tears, but he does use it for our benefit. Folks, I don't know what you're facing or what you have faced, but don't give up on God. Be steadfast. And remember, unfair situations and the things that happen in this world may be necessary for our spiritual growth. And that's why we can never give up. Like I said, I've heard, it's, I've heard it said, it's not what you're going through, but what you're growing through. And as we struggle, we begin to discover our new identity and our purpose and God's plan for us in that struggle. And we begin to see that in our weaknesses, God becomes our strength and we're utilized in a way that maybe we can't even begin to imagine. I thank God for those months two and a half years of just trying to figure out my calling and in ministry I know that God wants to do some amazing things through us and through our difficulties and I pray like Joseph that we can be steadfast and trust in the one who has created that purpose and plan. Will you join me in prayer? Dear God, um we thank you for this faithful, incredible hero, Joseph. God, we thank you for his mission and ministry and, and especially how he had saved many, waiting for years to see your dream become a reality. God, speak to us through the ministry of your Holy Spirit to help us utilize these difficulties and discouragement for your glory to turn that test into a testimony and that mess into a message. We trust in you and we give you ourselves and we pray this in Jesus' name.